Shio Shio. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Creative Native Podcast. Thank you for being here. I'm so excited. We have a really great guest today and we are just amped up over here celebrating Indigenous Peoples Day. You got Native American Heritage Month right around the corner and there's just so much good happening in Indian country this fall and winter. So we are excited to have Miss Jessie Somsky Syme. Uh, she is an enrolled citizen of the Muscogee Creek Nation and she has served as a general counsel for the Prairie Island Indian community since 2015. Um, and she's also a baller. Like WNBA draft has played overseas, uh, played at University of Wisconsin, and she has really got some good stuff in the works. We've just really re recently got to connect, but like many of us in Indian country, uh, you know, we feel like we're instantly connected and have some really similar passion projects. And one of those we have coming up this spring, the NCAA Women's Final Four is going to be in Minneapolis. And so Jesse, uh, myself, Dr. Elise Ali joseph Dr. Nicole Bean, Brent Cowie of Indian Sports, uh, just to name a few, are kind of working on some projects around ind Indigenous representation at the Women's Final Four. So stay tuned for that. Please reach out if you have ideas, suggestions, questions, um, any recommendations for the podcast, rate and review us. And with that, I will leave you with this great conversation with Jesse. Okay, Jesse Stomsky Syme is my name, and I'm a citizen of the Muscogee Creek Nation of Oklahoma. I was born in and raised in the Twin Cities of Minnesota, born in St. Paul, and lived in the East Metro area in um, a variety of different places. My family, uh, well, I think in order to in order to talk about me and to understand me, even for me to understand myself, I'd like to share a little bit about uh, my family a little further back and who we are and where we come from. Uh, my father was born and uh, raised and had his childhood down in Oklahoma in Ufali, uh, in Ufala on the Muscogee Nation, what we now know is the reservation, yay McGirt. Um, my grandma, Grandma Bear, was born and raised and lived her, most of her life there in the Ufala area. She went to the, one of the boarding schools there and, you know, that was, of course, a very traumatic experience for her and her siblings and was very effective on her. Um, she- So was that your, your dad's mom? Yes. Yeah. Dad's okay. mom. Yeah. And she, you know, a lot of trauma, of course, yeah. from that experience and others and including my father and how he came to be. That was something that was yeah. very difficult. Um, she never spoke of how, who my father's father was and mm -hmm. what happened there. Uh, even on her deathbed, she would not tell him how he was conceived. And, you know, there was rumors and thoughts, but it was a very negative experience for her. And so she, uh, I think as a result of the boarding school, and other negative experiences that she had did want to leave the reservation 
And she married a Polish man, a Polish soldier who happened to be in the area. And then they moved up to Wisconsin with my father and had a few more children. Um, they were, it was in Wausau, Wisconsin, and they were the only native family, the only, you know, brown people in Wausau, Wisconsin. And that also was a very difficult experience for the family. Uh, they experienced my, my father, my grandma, and, and my father's siblings ex experienced a lot of domestic violence, but would receive no help from anyone in the town because they were the Indian family. And, you know, that is important for me to share now because it's, it's something that really, you, know, you talk about generational trauma, um, mm -hmm. you kind of have to identify it for yourself. And it, it helps me understand where my path went and where it goes and what I do today. And it also, you know, with, with claiming of the indigenous experience, what is yours and what is not, you know, I didn't grow up on the reservation. Um, I really grappled with that a lot as yeah. well. And learning for me, the experience that my grandmother had in boarding school and on the reservation, how that resulted in the experiences my father had, and then how that resulted in my own experiences really has helped me um, have confidence in what I claim. God, I'm like, sorry, I'm like breathless no. when I run still. <laughs> yeah, no, it's... I'm, I'm, I really appreciate you giving, giving this background because it's so important because I think people are just really starting to understand. I mean, even understand what a board, like, because people, I think they think of boarding school, they're like, oh, it's just like what rich kids do now, you know, <laughs> it's like, no, that's right. not, that's not at all what it was. And, and the ramifications from that and the, the fact that so much of our our history, our culture was erased in our in our and I think yes. for our parents especially, they were in that kind of weird in between where they didn't necessarily weren't in those situations at the maybe not having to go to the schools, but they were still, you know, still very much you know victims of all that kind of oppression and erasure, and I can't imagine what that was like to move to to, to um, Wisconsin, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, not have anyone, you know, understand that, that situation. So that's, that's so powerful and, and so important for people to understand. And, and like you said, the kind of background, kind of the work you do now and um, why it's so important. And um, it's something that we have to keep, keep fighting for on a, on a daily basis. Yes. And, and talk about, um, yeah. I think it's, yeah. it's powerful. It's powerful to me, for me to understand it, for me to understand my father who didn't go to school past the eighth grade. Um, he was a felon. He, he did time in prison. Um, and he, he had a very difficult life, but he was a very powerful man and a very powerful man in my life. Um, it's mm. very, very close to my father, but with my my immediate family, my my father and my mother met in Wisconsin. And my mother is non-native. Um, it, it was a lot of instability in my growing up. Uh, they were divorced when I was young, and we lived in a variety of different places. And you know, I watched my father, who ironically ended up being a prison guard, even though he was a felon himself. Um, yeah struggled a lot with that disconnection from 
his his identity as a native man because he uh it was it was something that was shameful to him both in his experience from from his mother and and how he was raised and how she was led to believe um you know brainwashed to believe and then also his experience in an all-white town but it was also his greatest sort of source of pride and yeah. we would return to oklahoma on a regular basis and i saw his his need to connect and his need to you know understand what it means to be muskogee um and and it really it i had that too and i continue to have that and the more that i pursue that as my life goes on the more whole i am and you know the the experience that i had in sports it is really interwoven in that as well um yeah because and of it, the, yeah, I was just going to say, it's wild that, like, I think to think about people like your dad, where he, you know, he has all the negatives kind of from being Native, you know, all the mm -hmm. stereotypes, all the, the kind of stigmas that come along with it, and none of the positives with, like, the spiritual and the, like, emotional, cultural connections, and nice. I think that's, that's really important to, for people to realize is that, that you can carry around so much of the, the trauma and the stereotypes and all these things, and I, I can't imagine like that, that struggle for him. What, so for you, was he, did he, and you said he's, he was prideful. Was he like, you know, did he want you to kind of realize that kind of you were a native woman and like want you to be prideful in that yourself? Yes and no. Um, yeah. Yes, he did. And he was very, he encouraged that always and would take me to Oklahoma and make made sure that I knew where I came from. But he also felt that the way to remedy what was, quote, you know, what was wrong with us or the problems that we had, you know, the, the, the chain of, of history, the experiences in his life and in mine, um, he, he felt somewhere in his mind that the way that I could fix all that is if I led a life that was in a suburb of some city and in a predominantly white experience. So that, that's also something that I really uh, realized that was both a second generation effect of the boarding school traumas and indoctrination, and then also his own experiences growing up. And, you know, I, I think with a lot of our parents, what they do to try to protect us is just the best that they know. I mean, I, when I was yeah. ahead, when I was recruited by just about every team in the country, my father discouraged me from going to um, Ivy League schools. Mm -hmm. And he told me that's because he felt I would be ostracized there because we didn't have money, we were native, and he didn't feel, he, he was trying to protect me, you know, yeah. from that experience. So the ways that, that our parents protected us too were based deeply in both boarding school trauma and their own experiences, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. So, so how, how did sport kind of come into your life? Was that something that you got into when you were, when you were young and not, I mean, not to kind of, not to go off the topic, this is a really important topic, but I'm, I'm just so interested because you, um, because it's, I, I know it's something that's really meaningful to you. Yeah, absolutely. They, so my, the earliest memory that I have of falling in love with 
sports and competing was my dad lived in this um this apartment complex that was only known to me as the ghetto i don't um i don't use that term lightly but that was yeah. what it was referred to in town yeah. and when we would go to the laundromat we would bring our laundry basket and a tennis ball and we would bounce the tennis ball into the basket and love it. i, I love that. the love that i had for that game was um the love that I had for sports my whole life, including today. I just love it. And I didn't get into more organized sports until later, but when I did it, I, I was good, naturally good at everything. Um, I shouldn't say everything, at, at several things. And it became um, a way, a safe place, sort of, a place uh, where the rules were known, the way to succeed, and, and do good was known. And I was yeah. able to do it and get positive attention for that. And it's like immediate too, right? It's like you have yeah. that kind of immediate gratification for sure. Yes. And it was something that my father and I also really bonded over because he was not able to play sports. He was a very large, very strong athletic man, but because he was in and out of boys' schools and various other um legal institutions he yeah. never played sports formally so he it was a great sense of pride for him as well and you know I it was really the love of of the game of competing and the um the good medicine that it was for me and I don't know do you know Dom Tiger Cortez I think it is yeah, um, with yeah. hoop medicine yeah 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 so he and I have been exchanging messages in voicemails because I want him to join what we're working on with the final four, but yeah. I've been totally fanning over him for a while because his concept that basketball is good medicine is so absolutely true in my life. And I can't wait to connect with him and bring him on to what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so when you, uh, what was it like for you just, you know, navigating, you know, middle school, high school, like, did you, did you feel like you were different or did you just kind of use sport as kind of a way to kind of blend in kind of, and maybe uh, make it easier for your kind of, kind of experience through, through education? Were you into, were you you into school or was sport something that kind of, kind of kept you in school? (laughs) What was it like for you? I was, um, you know, I was a, a average to sometimes below average student because I didn't really care about it. Um, sports, I, I cared about definitely, but was also navigating a lot of things at, at home, um, addiction and mental health issues. And, you know, it's, it's crazy. I, I have some siblings who I didn't grow up with in different, um, my father had children with that weren't raised with us in our immediate family. And um, it's unbelievable the same, and you talk about like DNA memory and this Mm -hmm. back to this generational trauma thing, our generational um, trauma. It it really is, is of the blood, I believe, because I had siblings that did not grow up with my father or with our experiences that had very similar uh, life paths in, in the struggles and mental health and addiction in, in, in themselves and their children and um, some very sad things. So 
anyways, basketball yeah. and other sports. So volleyball, I was in high school, I played four sports. I was all state in three. And it was, um, yeah, it, I always stood out. I mean, I'm six foot two. I don't look like everybody else. And yeah. so, <laughs> um, it was actually a way for me to, you know, have positive att- attention and reinforcement for, for who I was. I, and it also allowed me to hide a lot of the things that I was dealing with. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Kind of a dual, uh, purpose there for sure. So was there, had you thought about college or had, when did you kind of realize that maybe you could even play sports in college was, um, were there people reaching out to you? What did, what did that look like? I, I don't know. I don't, you know, nobody in my family had gone to college. So I don't, college wasn't like talked about as the necessary next step. Right. But I remember uh, an AAU coach came to found me in some gym and he watched me play. And and I was, I was in middle school maybe. And after he was kind of one of these, like people thought he was a little creepy AAU guy. (laughs) Yeah, and, uh, the slimy, the slimy yes. guys. Yes, yeah. his yeah. name was Bob, but he was fantastic to me. He was wonderful to me. And in fact, I was what well, I was a scholarship AAU person. So I couldn't, you know, wow. I didn't pay to go all over to places yeah. um, because, and, and, you know, get me shoes and stuff like that, which is something, you know, I, very relevant to what we're working on with the final four. Yeah. But um, he looked at me and he said, you'll play at any college you you want to you'll get to go to any college that you want to and you won't have to pay and I looked at him and that was you know I was young I was maybe seventh grade uh and that was the first time that it started to click in my head that I could maybe do something with this and it wasn't just something that I enjoyed doing yeah. But at, at the same time, the the environment that I was in and the it, what I saw at home was also I was starting to adopt those behaviors. Hmm. So my athletic career ran parallel with a <laughs> a career of um getting into a lot of trouble. Yeah. With alcohol and with, you know, with my own issues there, um, with fighting, with, you know, violence, a a variety of things. And many times on many occasions, it caused me to, to almost lose or lose my opportunities. I remember I was, um, at an AU tournament, a big one and Pat Summit and Gino Ariema were coming to recruit us at that game. Me and one of my teammates and I, I, this is stupid, but it just is representative. I got suspended for that game because I was out doing dumb things with, um, you know, the night before. Yeah. And so I didn't get to play in front of them. And, and, you know, they, that was it. They don't need to recruit kids that have problems. Right. So right. Yeah. I never yeah, yeah. was on their recruiting list. And that is just representative of sort of the two different lives that I was living and how they merged. And uh, it it really is incredible that I continued to get opportunities. I was suspended several times in high school, including my final uh, Minnesota State High School League violation. 
that resulted in me being kicked off the team. We were about to enter into the state tournament and it was my third or fourth violation. I got a DWI and I let my team down and I, you know, I let everybody down, but in my mind, I had not yet been able to understand that this lifestyle that I was living was um, inconsistent with a lot of the goals that had been created for me through sports because yeah. I was, I was living almost with two sets of, of morals. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And this is so important for, I think everyone to hear is that I think we live in kind of this perfection and culture now. And it's, I think it's just so important for, for especially young kids to understand, like no one it's, it's just impossible to be perfect, especially when we're dealing with the things that we deal with. Um, I think, and as native, native indigenous peoples. I completely agree. And that's why I, I talk about it more and more, actually, I haven't talked about this. I hadn't talked about it for a long time. And until I got inducted into the hall of fame, I thought I would never have to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, but well, yeah, because you know, society wants, wants us to be shameful of it, you know, and yes. and and it's it's a kind of it's all cyclical because it's like, well, it's, it's society in the first place that led you to those things, you know. It wasn't your own your own personal fault, and I even I wouldn't say it was even like your own morals. It was just kind of the the you know you you were trying to adapt and to to really process what you were going through and how like so. You've, ta you've talked about having kind of a lot of opportunities for, you know, um, college. How did you end up going to, to Wisconsin? You know, I, I, I didn't know the answer to that for a long time because it was, yeah. we were totally overwhelmed. You know, like I said, I mean, my parents had no idea how to navigate this. My coaches had never recruited a, uh, or never had never coached a, a, blue chip athlete or whatever you want to call it so yeah I, and this is and this is something that is not talked about enough that is a, such a big barrier for native kids it it was and so it was so random how I how I picked and you know like I said I got some advice I got advice from my father who was trying to care for me who was like go to to more blue collar schools, right, <laughs> right. Sort of random how we sorted through this, but Wisconsin ended up in my top five. Uh, I went there. Coach Jane Albright mm -hmm. is uh, a pillar in my life now, even still. But absolutely, then um, in the making, you know, she just felt comfortable to me. They were they were a very good program. They led the Big Ten at the time in in um, attendance, they had a brand new facility. And when I went there, I had a very good time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, and well, this is what's wild too, is like, this is also the time when women's sports are just starting, I think, to gain that kind of respect that they deserve, you know, and, and that's, a, that's a whole other kind of <laughs> pocket of things that, that we haven't talked about is just how women's sports get treated you know so that's yes. that's and and that's so great to hear that you had a coach like that yeah she um 
She's incredible. And, you know, when I, I got into my final career ending trouble in high school, I thought I'm not going to have the opportunity to play in college. Who's going to want me? And I had, I had signed already with Wisconsin and, and she was very compassionate. And I, you know, continued my career there as a badger, but my, my troubles did not end. Um, with my new opportunity, my clean slate, so to speak. I went there with the same baggage or the same, you know, background, the same struggles, the same experiences that I didn't even know were traumatic myself or were harmful or abusive. But you go there as a young person and you just continue to cope in the ways that you know how to cope. And, and also on the other hand, you're trying to play a big 10 sport and you know crack into the starting lineup and you're trying to study and you're trying to, to do all of these things in a world that you've never been in before. And it was definitely a challenge. It yeah. was- did you did you talk to your to your coaches or your teammates about being native specifically or was that something that you kind of wasn't really talked about and I, I the it's so wild too to think about because college is so unique I think in the United States where there's so many things that are part of that culture too like the drinking thing is kind of it's almost mm-hmm. normalized but but was it was being you know native was that something that you talked about with my coach yes and yeah. my teammates were you know they were aware and, and they my father was at all games, my family. And so they knew who I was and that I was a tribal member. But you know, at that time, I also grappled with how, again, how do I embrace and express my identity? It's always been an interesting thing to me because I didn't grow up on the reservation. And it's been a learning experience for me about how, how do I communicate that? How do I represent my ancestors, my family, my nation in a good way. And at the time, you know, I, I wish I could go back and do it again and scream from everywhere that I am a Muscogee yeah. and, yeah. you know, just be, be so proud of who I am. But at the time, I, I don't know, I, I just didn't take that opportunity and well, and that's how we were conditioned to, you know, it was not, we weren't conditioned to, to be prideful of it or to talk about it. Or like you said, it's something that's so interesting. I think this kind of on reservation, off reservation dynamic too, mm-hmm. that happens. And when I moved to Portland and I, you know, I don't look native. And so when people would be like, well, and, and when you tell someone you're Cherokee, that's like, you know, obviously the most kind of <laughs> generic, I call it generic because it's like, okay, everyone's, everyone's Cherokee, but I would always, I would struggle because I was like, I grew up on the reservation. Like I'm legit, you know? And like, yeah. and I felt like it was just, it's just a, this weird dynamic, but, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's just, there's just so many complex ways in which we are kind of taught to just, yeah, like you said, think about our own identity and kind of almost you like you assimilate and just a, kind of just be, you want to be quote unquote normal, you know, and um, it's, it, it's just, it's kind of astonishing to think about all those different complex ways. 
it is there. You could have a whole podcast on the identity yeah. of many. You could have a whole show yes. from Afro-Indigenous yes. to more, you know, yes. I, I don't even know what the words are anymore. White coated natives, yeah. to reservation on reservation. And yeah, so like through that, through my whole life, it's where do I fit on the spectrum? And am I entitled to have to share my experience as a native woman, as a native kid, as you know, because you just you don't know. There's no rule book to this. And um, especially, I think, when you grow up isolated from it in some ways or away from your community, because the Minnesota Native communities have really embraced me and I I love them and I feel good uh, being a part of them. But there's nothing like your own community and your own family and your own people. And in something you said earlier, just the, the not being part of ceremony, not being part of a ceremonial mm-hmm. grounds of knowing our, our language and just all of the things about being Muskogee that now I'm, I'm running to, you know, right. I'm, I'm searching for it at every opportunity and in, within my own family, within the nation and within friends and, and people who have just really embraced me and, that is home to me and it's always been home and it's home in all of us, I think, but it's finding our way there if we didn't start there. And it is really, really powerful. Yeah. And there's just, there's just not one way to be native and, and to, and to be, you know, especially native women, like I, I think is especially an added dynamic and, and it just, just again, just trying to accept ourselves and accept that and um, try to just just make sense of it. And the more that we, I think that also we can kind of create these relationships too across these tribes. Like I've been so just like me and Elise, we're like, we're just like, we can't stop smiling because we're like, have these, these opportunities now to just connect across different tribes and different, these different groups all across the country. And, um, so to kind of kind of jump to that, so we've we've talked about it a little bit, but how? So I, I do want to talk more about how you got into being uh, legal counsel and getting into law and all that. But um, just to jump ahead really briefly, so can you talk a little bit about like what your current position is, kind of in um, with in Minnesota, Minneapolis, with the women's final four coming up? Yes. So uh, I was invited to be on the executive committee for the local organized, the the local organizing committee for the women's final four in 2022, which will be in Minneapolis. I'm learning there's all these acronyms and I'm, (laughs) I'm learning it. And they, I think rightfully so they realized that they didn't have much diversity on the top board they invited me, they, again, ironically, I've been a scholarship kid. Uh, I was a scholarship kid for law school and for college and even AAU. And they waived some of, well, I I don't know, probably don't want me to say this, but I was not required to be associated with a sponsor who gave a quarter million dollars or whatever to the effort. So that got, I, I got on the board, I think due to being native and being an, an attorney for a tribe here in the Twin Cities and, and being involved here in my, in my experience as a NCAA basketball player. But when I got yeah, well, there. Go ahead. Um, yeah. I was just going to say, it's just so funny because the NCAA, it's just like they're, I feel like they're finally 
waking up to so many of these things that that's like all these rules they had in place that like barriers just to keep other people out you know and it's just it's it's so wild it's like it's like finally it's like their eyes are opening a little bit of how to like oh this is how we can be inclusive but but yeah go ahead because we're making them yeah yeah exactly (laughs) and it's I mean I'm grateful for the opportunity so the opportunity was given to me by the host committee and that I I am very grateful for but I knew in accepting it they might regret it after the first meeting because I was (laughs) one in there (laughs) I'm going to do something Uh, it's an opportunity for because looking back just the the issues around Native athletes in the NCAA are insane that they still exist today. You know, Mm -hmm. I was aware of them back when I was playing, but I did not think 20 years later, we'd still be basically in the same place. Exactly. Yeah. And so I knew this was an opportunity to do something. I didn't know how. And it's really tricky because I don't, because navigating the who has to approve what and what, what can you do and what can yeah. you do, you know, it's that you talk about barriers and it's like, man, the red tape to do anything. Oh, it's gosh. yeah, challenging, but I, so I, I started going to the meetings immediately. There was an issue that I saw with the, uh, they have this title nine bus that had female athletes from it's the 50th anniversary of title nine so they had women from minnesota who were representative of the 50 years and uh there was very little diversity and no surprise there were no native athletes but uh, yeah so i raised that immediately and that was addressed i'm very grateful i have to say that the, the local organizing committee has been very responsive very but one other thing i did is i called up dr nicole b and she's Muskogee. And I always look for Muskogee people everywhere. Yeah. Um, and, and what you said is totally true. I mean, the, the, the Indigenous community is incredibly supportive. I, I, I just, I, my heart just soars because of all the support from Native women from all over Indian country. And in this instance, I called Dr. Bean. And she just was like, I'm in. We're doing this. She said, call this person and this person, call Dr. Natalie Welch. Uh, and you were my second call, call Brent from indiansports.com. And, and he was my third. And all of a sudden we sort of, we amassed and we got uh, Elise, Ally Joseph. Am I saying, is it Elise? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I yeah, was yeah. getting nervous because there's so many different ways you can pronounce it. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, all of a sudden here we are in our own little subcommittee cooking up plans of how we're going <laughs> to indigenize the final four. And then we're not going to stop there. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's just the beginning. So cool. Yes. So it's, it's just like something that I think for so many of us, it's like, this is like Lily said, it's like our life's work. And it's like, this is finally, we're finally getting the opportunity to, to do it and, and to have this, this network and, um, and social media has been so great too, at just exposing, you know, people mm-hmm. to this and connecting us across these little pockets, um, 
So that's great. I'm I'm so glad I've I, I just can't. I'm like honestly, I'm like getting ready to book my tickets. I'm like just figuring out you know, how to get how to get to school to pay for some of it, and maybe bring some students to volunteer and all that. So, um, it, it and we're and we're just getting started. It's it's uh we're just kind of scratching the surface, and I think it's gonna be um a really a really amazing thing. And um and you know and it's just perfect timing too with you know, the NCAA finally being forced to kind of make these changes and, um, and, you know, we're going to be there to like, you know, help them make the, make the right choices. Um, and so I, I do want to, before, before I let you go, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I want to hear about how, so, you, you know, you go from, you know, being an athlete and, um, you know, kind of having your own kind of struggles, uh, and yes. how did, how did law school and like, going on the legal side uh, for your professional career. How did that come into, come into play? When I was in college, you know, like I said, I, I continued to have issues, but my coach continued to love on me and really just expose me to different, different things, um, encouraged me and taught me how to hold myself to high standards sort of across the board. Sooner or later, that won out, you know, and it wasn't day one, it wasn't day 50, it wasn't like I had some moment, but the good days started started to outnumber the bad days. And through that, I, yeah, I was, became Big Ten freshman of the year. I was, um, you know, had a variety of different layers of individual success, which I never, I never ever uh, measure my career by because to me, it's, it's all about team. It always has, but it always will be. But the, the experience also allowed me to realize that I was a, a pretty decent student. <laughs> and yeah. so I yeah. ended up graduating from the J school, the journalism school there and covered some, some Indian country stories, including this very issue about representation in the NCAA. 20, over 20 years ago, I did that for uh, the Native Voice, it was called. It was a newspaper yeah. back then. Yeah. And then I, I was drafted to the WNBA. Uh, my career there was short-lived. I was with the Charlotte Sting. Then I went overseas in Greece and France. And my father had sort of put this bug in my ear that I would be, I, I would be a good lawyer. He was, again, he was a prison guard. And so I was always sort of fascinated with the law. Mm. And I, I really had planned to go down to law school in Tulsa. And I took a visit one time that we were down there in Oklahoma visiting family. And I went to Tulsa and toured their law school. And that was my intention. But um, decided to stay up here, which in hindsight, I, I'm, I, I wish sometimes that I was down working for my own nation and maybe someday I will, but there were reasons yeah. that I was meant to be here as well. Yeah. And, uh, ended up going to law school here in the twin cities. I went in, I had an opportunity to work for one of the bigger law firms in town, and I took it and I'm glad I did. I worked there for five years. I ended up leaving because I just, I wanted to work in Indian country and I couldn't do it there, yeah. but the yeah. experience and the education exactly. that was, was, was really beneficial. And I, I got to take that and bring it to Indian country. What I learned yeah. there. 
Exactly. Yeah. And it's so important for people to see a native woman in that position too, I think. It, well, yeah, it was, boy, it was interesting. The, yeah. the, the comments there at, at the law firm Gosh, about being native were unbelievable, but you know, you just kind of grind through it because I had a bigger plan. Yeah. I had a bigger intentions. I worked for a boutique Indian law firm here in town, Hogan Adams, with another Muskogee citizen, Andrew Adams III, and um, other Native attorneys who are fantastic. And then about six years ago, I applied for the general counsel position at Prairie Island, which is a Dakota community in Minnesota. Yeah. And uh, I was underqualified, maybe, some would say. Uh, I'd been practicing law, you know, six years, maybe, and we just connected uh, and the community took me in and I told them, I said, I'm not the most experienced candidate that you'll have, but there will be no one who works as hard for you as I will. Yeah. And I feel like I've held true to that promise. Oh, that's so amazing. I love your story. Is just, just so, so great. And, and, and I do, I'm, I'm one of those people that believe everything happens for a reason. And it's like, I think it's so important for us to kind of follow these, maybe not necessarily, um, you know, parallel kind of journeys of, you know, like, and, and I'm with you, like, for me, it's important to kind of not be in my community right now and like mm, serve yeah. it, serve it in a different way. And like, I, I definitely like one of my goals is to go home and be like athletic director of our high school, you know, and like, and, it, and, and I think people are starting to realize like, oh, you can you can do, you don't have to just have one career, one job, you know, you can, you can do a lot of things and have a lot of impact in a lot of different ways. So um, I think you're definitely a shining, shining example of that. Um, and I'm just so, I'm just so glad that we've connected and we're able to, to work on this project and more projects. I'm, I, I'm, I'm cooking up some, some names we can start for our little, little organization. Cause I think this subset, I think, now we have just such a great representation of not just native athletes, but people who are advocates for native athletes and native athletics and um, just getting that representation of that progress and um, the leadership piece too, of, you know, natives in, in administration, sport administration and yes. in all these different pockets of, of, of the, on the business side, you know, and, and so it's, it's, it's super exciting. And, um and so great and then you also ha have some some have kids is that right yes I have two daughters yeah. and so yeah. it's um it's a balance of course yeah but they they're wonderful they're they are great teachers to me of many things and in, in as well I'm trying to teach them uh, teach them about where they come from and who they are and it's, it's something, it's powerful. Yeah. I can't wait till we get Elise and up there and her two little girls. It's going to be, oh. we're going to have a, a great time. It's going to be some, some great girl power. Brent is going to be uh, <laughs> with all the girl power. I love it. He, I think he'll, he'll love it too. He, he won't admit it, but he'll love it too. So, so Jesse, just thank you so much for, for your time. I'm so glad I was, you know, I, I have uh I go on a pretty long hiatus sometimes with my, my podcast, but I um, think these conversations are so important. These stories are so important to share. And 
I mm. am just so excited for the work that we get to do. And I thought this would be a great way to um, celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day and kind of as we roll into Native American Heritage Month and kind of just keep, I mean, hit you around for us, I know. So, um, but a, a great way to kind of educate folks and get them excited and see what people, other people think about uh what we can do for the final four so we can get kind of now we can get it out into the world so then they'll be keeping their eyes and ears open for for this stuff well mando thank you and i just thank you for everything that you've done it's just like i said it's been so wonderful to have i mean look we came together and we're making this change and it was meant to be you know it was, it was almost like it was some it was preordained yeah and I believe that the changes and the opportunities that we're going to create here with this final four, with others in the NCAA uh, are going to be meaningful. So Mado, for all that you've done as well. Yes, of course. And I'm, yeah, I'm just so excited for this work that we continue to do. And it's just, it's so cool to find this kind of power team of, of folks and we can uh, just continue to, to make change and, um, just, I just can't wait to see all the, the little girls that we're going to see uh, at the Final Four and uh, all the events beyond.